Isn't it beautiful and sweet just to lift our voices together in song and, and praise our Savior, our, our Lord, this glorious Jesus Christ. Um, you know, as we, as we were singing that song just, just then and as I'm kind of sitting there playing and singing and worshiping as well, um, and whenever we sing that song, center, the question that always sort of sticks in my mind is, um, is Christ really the center? You know, like the center, meaning not just one part of our life, um, not just sort of like the first thing we check off the box, you know, God, family, job, whatever, however, but like really the center of everything, meaning the center of our jobs, the center of our families, the center of our lives, the center of the way that we spend our free time, the sp- center of the way that we hang out with our friends, the center of the way that we eat our food, just the center of every bit of our lives. And that's really, honestly, it's where we're going this morning. Um, uh, in some ways, y- y- if you were to say, Joel, that's where we go every morning. That's true. Um, but we're going there again today. Is Christ really, is he, is he everything um, to you? Is he truly the center? Um, and one of the, one of the things I want to hit on today, um, I'm trying to decide what to do with my coffee, um, is a, I want to give you a formula, all right? Because we're going to be talking about some really abstract uh, sort of things today. Um, we're in a text this morning that's very abstract and kind of strange and weird. Um, and so I want to give you a formula, which I, you know, I'm not a math guy. I'm not like a big formula guy. Um, but I want to give you like, it's, it's like a handle, all right? Because at the end, there's going to be all of these abstract sort of truths that are going to be hitting you. And I want you to be able to grab onto something and say, okay, this is, here's my nugget and it's going to pull me up. And this is, this is my formula. So here's the formula, all right? So I want you to write this down. If you have a pen and a paper, um, I want you to write this down. A new heart equals WS plus A equals freedom, all right? And I know that's not like a normal kind of, I know it's weird, all right? I'm not, a, I'm, a, I'm not a math guy, I'm more of an English and history guy. But, so if you're a math person, you're like, that is a terrible way to write a formula. Don't worry about that, all right? A new heart equals WS plus A equals freedom. And, and I'll give you the, I'm gonna give you the WS and A, what that means, all right? Um, math people, what would that be? These are sort of your... Definitions? Can we say that? WS is a uh, willing, willingness to sacrifice. All right? A willingness to cut. Whatever you got to cut. Willingness to sacrifice. Plus A is accountability. All right? A willingness to sacrifice plus accountability. So a new heart equals a willingness to sacrifice as well as accountability in your life, which then also equals freedom. And we're going to unpack that today and get into that. So just write that down, put that out of your mind for right now. We're going to come back to that formula a little bit later. But before we begin, um, I just want to, I just want to start um, with uh, going to God uh, in, in some prayer. We're actually um, going to be in Jesus' teachings this morning. These, these are actually, actually his words um, a, from, from his, his very mouth. And uh, so let's just pray that God will um, allow us to handle this text uh, this morning in a way that is glorifying to him. Pray with me. God, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and how sweet this fellowship is, um, how sweet it is to be able to come together and worship uh, our maker, you, um, who uh, is also our redeemer. And uh, we thank you for that fact. We thank you for the fact that you have sought us and you have found us and you have saved us. And uh, Lord, I do ask that as we go in uh, to this text this morning, um, I pray that we will, uh, uh, above everything else, above my voice, um, above our thoughts, our ideas, um, above any distractions that there may be, I, I, I pray, I beg you that we will hear uh, the very voice of Jesus this morning. Just come through this text as this, is, uh, as the, as this originally came from his mouth. Um, and uh, as heavy as this teaching sat, on uh, its first hearers and transformed the early Christians. I just ask that you do that same kind of work in us today. Let us see Jesus. Let us hear him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Everybody said, amen. Amen. There's a young man in Bible college uh, who was preparing for ministry, looking forward to a life of uh, uh, church ministry. Um, He was newly married to a beautiful girl. And uh, he had a spark of romance uh, with another girl at his job. Um, a, a spark that led to this, this attraction. Do you guys know how damaging a worm can be? Um, and, and I know like as soon as I say that, we're in the 21st century and you immediately think computers and viruses, right? <laughs> I actually did a little Google search, uh, worm damage, and like nine out of 10 things that came up on Google the hits were all computer <laughs> related, which w- I wasn't expecting that, but we are in the 21st century, right? And, and it's interesting. Actually, I, got a, uh, I had a Dell once. Oh my goodness, um, a PC. Um, and I had uh, some viruses on it and some worms. And you know, they get into your email and they close or they cancel files and they do some, like, like you, they, they damage. Like my Dell, uh, was forever damaged, like completely destroyed. Um, and so I gave it to a friend, right? <laughs> uh, he asked for it. I mean, I wasn't trying to, you know, hey man, here's a nice computer for you. Um, but worms, com- on your computer, as, as in your body, tapeworms, whatever, they destroy. They, they gnaw away at your, at your files, at, at your computer. Um, if you've uh, ever had that experience, then just get a Mac, right? Amen? and you won't have that experience ever again in your life. But worms, worms are damaging. And as this, um, as, as this man who's in, in uh, Bible college, who has this attraction for this female, and here's his wife over here, um, he, there's this worm that's starting to grow um, in him. And like if, if I could see him right now, if I could look at him and talk to him, I would say, cut it off now. Like, quit your job if you have to quit your job. Like, do whatever it takes. Going through the rest of your life jobless is not as bad as what you're about to lose. Cut off whatever you have to cut off. Then led to a, a party um, after a, f- a few drinks. Um, alcohol doesn't affect me like that. Drunkenness, getting drunk doesn't affect me like that, he said. In this moment, if we could look at him, we'd be like, dude, like, give me your third drink, all right? Let's, let's, you have a worm that is gnawing away at you. Do you understand this? A couple drinks later, a hotel room, an affair that was never expected. On the floor, in the kitchen, in tears, confessing this to his wife, leaving his wife for another girl. Guys, there is, in this passage that we're going into today, all right, um, there is something here that this person would have to ignore in order, to, in order to go about his life. Anyone that falls into this kind of destruction, any, any pastor that falls into an affair has to ignore this as he's preaching through uh, his sermons on Sundays. You have to ignore what we're about to get into. And let me say this, there is something in this text today, I mean, it's, it's going to be very heavy, all right? This is, this is what we're getting into is known as uh, some of the difficult, quote-unquote, difficult teachings of Jesus, all right? Meaning they're really hard, and it's hard, almost hard to know what to do with them. What we're getting into today, if we ignore it, if we walk out of here and ignore it, uh, there's destruction that's ahead for us, not only physically, but also 
spiritually. So let's, I want to read the text. It's Mark chapter 9. If you, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, somebody in the back can give you, get you a Bible. Just raise your hand if you need one. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. <clears throat> We're going to read through verse 50. And as I read, I, I would just like to ask you guys to stand. Let's just stand this morning as we read the text. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the, uh, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Amen. You can take a seat. As we dive into this this morning, first I want to say like a big disclaimer, all right? And if I was like all into multimedia and things like that, I would have it flash up on the screen like in big red letters. Uh, here's our big disclaimer. Uh, we're talking about cutting off feet and hands and gouging out eyes today. Uh, don't do that, all right? Don't, I don't want anybody to walk out of here and then I get a lawsuit this week. All right, I mean, because we're going to actually say the words, you need to gouge out your eyes, all right? I'm not actually saying literally you need to gouge out, all right? Don't do that, all right? In Italy, there was a worshiper who took this literally. Um, it was a uh, Catholic mass. The, halfway through the mass, the, the, the priest looked up into the balcony, saw some commotion, and there was a dude clawing at his face, and by the time the paramedics got there, he had two eyes in his hand. All right? Um, the third, in the third century, uh, Origen supposedly castrated himself following this, literally. Um, don't do that, okay? We're not cutting anything off today. Um, this is hyperbole, all right? Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's, he's actually being very graphic. Um, and as you can see, as we just read through that, this is tough. This is like really difficult, graphic kind of stuff that's coming from the mouth of Jesus, um, being very graphic. And if we actually just focus on our limbs, if we just focus on our flesh today, we're actually gonna miss uh, the deeper problem here and what Jesus is actually getting at. We're gonna miss this we're going to miss this worm that's gnawing away at us. Uh, the, uh, for, for, for some of you today, th this worm has been gnawing at you for far too long. There's been a worm that's been tearing at your soul and it's leading you down a path of destruction and it's been happening for far too And if you ignore this, and you walk out of here with a cold heart and say there's absolutely, that's not for me. I, I want to begin with the end result of ignoring this. And again, guys, this is coming from the mouth of Jesus. These aren't my ideas. I'm going to start with the end result. We see it all through the passage. In verse, verse 43, the last phrase, hell the unquenchable fire. Verse 45, the last word, hell. Verse 47, the last word, hell. Uh, when I, my first draft of writing this, this sermon, um, I, I read it through and read it to some, to, to some folks and realized that I was very light on hell. And about 8.30 last night, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm missing what Jesus is getting at here. So I scrapped it at 8.30 last night and rewrote my sermon. <laughs> and here's the reality, guys. I don't 
like talking about hell. And I don't know if you should, right? I mean, I don't know how anybody could just randomly talk about hell and just throw around some of these ideas and some of these, these words and just randomly talk about hell without, without trembling, without like serious emotional investment into what, into what you're saying. Um, if it was up to me, I would stick with my hobby horses and talk about the poor all the time and community, doing life together, right? Uh, but this is what we do. Like ever since day one of uh, starting this church, we, just, we go through a book of the Bible and we talk about what's talked about in there, all right? And so that way we don't stick on my hobby horses or every week is talking about the things that I enjoy talking about, but sometimes we have to talk about the difficult teachings of Jesus, and we have to go places that are, that, are very, uh, that are very difficult. Spurgeon said this regarding pastors who um, don't ever want to talk about hell. Um, and by the way, this is, he said this in the 1850s, and I want you to see how applicable it still is today, okay? Spurgeon said, there are some ministers who never mention anything about hell. I heard a minister who once said to his congregation, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to that place, which it is not polite to mention. And then Spurgeon said this. He said, he ought to have never been allowed to preach again, I'm sure, if he could not use plain words. So by God's grace this morning, I will use plain words, as plain as Jesus spoke, That's, uh, that, that I'll be able to talk plainly about what's, what's at stake. So first of all, Jesus, throughout this passage, he, he uses this word hell. He refers to, to hell. And uh, literally, there's a couple different dimensions here. Literally, there was this place, a valley called Gehenna, outside the city gates, which was at one time used to uh, sacrifice children to the god of Melech. And now this place has become a dump uh, where all of the trash of the city goes. There is a constant fire that is burning there in this place. Uh, there are dogs that are fighting over the scraps of whatever's left in this, in this valley, uh, which would create literally the sound of, of, of weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. And so Jesus is looking at this very literal place uh, this, this valley of Gehenna where children were once sacrificed and saying this right here. I want you guys to understand something. If you don't cut off the worm, this is your ultimate destiny. Now, some theologians have, have uh, wrongly remarked that because Jesus is referring to an earthly place, then that in some way diminishes the eternal place. That because there was, oh, there was a valley. Oh, he was referring to a valley. So he's not really referring to a, an eternal place of torment. Um, that's just like, unfortunately, it's just wrong. I mean, every, every time you see in the scriptures an earthly picture used to describe a spiritual reality, the earthly picture never does it justice. It's only a very small glimpse into the spiritual reality of what's at stake. For instance, bread. Uh, the, the, the scriptures being our, our bread. Um, now, bread is good, but it's just a very small picture of what the scriptures actually are, what truth actually is and how truth actually nourishes us. Or Jesus as the shepherd. Um, shepherds are really cool. It's a, I mean, it's a great trade. If you're a shepherd, well done. Um, but a shepherd really, I mean, Jesus is not just a shepherd. You see what I'm saying? It's a, shepherd is a very small picture of a much bigger and much more real and a greater reality, spiritual reality. Or water, Jesus is the living water. You know, you have a glass of water and you drink it. You're like, oh man, that quenched my thirst. So Jesus is like water, but he's much bigger than water. Do you see this? So you see how the earthly pictures really are just very small um, pictures of, of what is really at hand? And so Jesus then is referring to this valley of where, where children were once sacrificed, where there's trash and constant fire, dogs weeping and gnashing, I mean, like crazy. Like, you don't want to be hanging out in Gehenna. You don't want to be hanging out in the dump, all right? And it's a very small picture. I want, you get, I want you guys to see this. It's a very small picture. It's a small picture of, of the reality of hell. 
of the eternal destiny of those who are consumed by this, by this worm. Uh, look at verse 49 in your text. <clears throat> verse 49. Uh, Thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, uh, this, this worm. This worm that's, what is the worm? It's th- this worm that's like in your life. This worm that's consuming you right now does not die there. It consumes you. It becomes all that you are. Um, C.S. Lewis said this on the worm. This unrepentant, let me just say this. Uh, actually, let me give you some, some words. This might help to write them down. Unrepentant, all right, is a good word. Um, ongoing is a good word. And indwelling is a good word. All right, everybody say un- unrepentant. unrepentant. Ongoing. And indwelling. All right. The worm, the sin that's ongoing, indwelling, unrepentant. This worm, this is what C.S. Lewis says about that. Um, He says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will uh, will you be no, I'm sorry, then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. In each of us, he says, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. This ongoing worm, this, this sin that's present in your life, all right, and, and for some of you, it's like coming to your mind right now. You know exactly what, what, what we're talking about. And the reality, what Jesus is calling us to do today is to cut off whatever we have to cut off. You see? We've got to cut it off. And here we are often afraid of whatever it is that we have to cut off. Afraid of quitting, quitting that job. Because we know that if we stay there, we're going to end up having an affair with her. But we, we're not willing to quit the job. Afraid of living a life of celibacy because you're not married. We're not willing. We're, we're, we're too afraid. See, we, we, we fear. I mean, we're looking at these little worms and we're like, man, we fear cutting them off more than we fear the God who can send us to hell. I mean, this is, I'm not like a fire and brimstone kind of preacher, okay? But this is what we do. We go through, and we go through the text. We say, wow, so what's being, what's being taught here? What's Jesus Painting a picture of. Where the worm uh, does not die, where the fire does not cease, is the picture that he is painting. Now, as Jesus gives us this sort of, in a sense, fire and brimstone, um, he not only gives us that, but he also gives us hope. And everybody say amen at that, all right? Woo! That was loud. Hey man, everybody take a deep breath. Now, after you took your breath, hope comes with sacrifice, right? The hope that Jesus gives us, it comes with cutting off. It comes with very difficult sacrifice. And so as we look at our lives and as we consider what it is that we need to cut off today, these, 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 these worms that we that we might have. Jesus gives us two specific areas in this passage uh, to watch in our lives. First of all, um, to watch your impact on others. And secondly, to watch sin's impact on you and then to cut off whatever it is that you need to cut off, all right? Uh, So that's where we're gonna go. I was sharing my faith um, with a young dude, a couple weeks ago. He's a guy that I've been connecting with, a friend of mine. And as I was talking to him about Jesus and, and also, you know, his life, and um, he said, he was like, well, the way I see it is like, I've, I've got God, like we're cool. Um, I've got Jesus. Um, but I still want what I want. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how he said it. 
so he's like, you know, if I, if I want to have sex with that chick, then I want to be able to do that. You know, if I want to be able to stand on the corner, I want to be able to do that, make some money, whatever it is that I want to do, um, then I want to be able to do that. And my mom would say that that's having your cake and eating it too. I never really knew what that expression meant, really. Um, it makes sense, I guess. I think Jesus, he, unfortunately, Jesus would say, depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. There's no such thing as, as having both worlds. There's no such thing as, as following Christ without sacrificing something dear to us, something that's part of our flesh. Uh, look at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones, and he's not just referring to children here, he's actually referring to the same people he refers to in verse 41, a verse earlier, who are the disciples or those young, uh, who are young in their faith, uh, new believers, whoever causes one of these folks, one of these people uh, who, who will not lose their reward, who, whoever causes one of them who believe in me to sin, and everybody say, this, say this with me, this doesn't mean uh, hurt feelings. Say that. This doesn't mean hurt feelings. Thank you. So this means like down the road as we grow our church and as, you know, it's like, we, you know, we don't have an organ, <laughs> but we, we, we take the organ out and somebody's like, that offended me. I paid for that. That's my organ. I, I played that organ for 30, right? I don't think, I mean, our, our argument will be something different, you know, and you guys are the ones that will actually figure out what that is and create those uh, little things because you guys are sort of the core the beginning of this church. Um, so beware of that, actually. Don't, this isn't just saying, this isn't referring to just hurt feelings, all right? It's not just Aunt Martha's upset because they changed the pulpit or whatever. This is saying, Jesus is saying, whoever causes one of these uh, young believers, one of these people who believe in me, whoever causes them to sin, whoever takes them down this destructive path, leads them down a path of sin, or causes their beliefs to be sinful, wrong beliefs. He says it's better for them, in verse 42, it would be better for him to have a great millstone. Now a millstone was before windmills, it was like this big round slab, all right, kind of heavy, pulled, turned by a mule. Um, he said it would be better to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. This is actually an ancient form of uh, um, capital punishment. But they would take a millstone, tie it around a criminal's neck and throw him into a sea or into the, into the lake. And I don't know, I mean, I, I trained to be a lifeguard for a little while in high school and when somebody grabbed around my neck and I was supposed to be above the water saving them and I was under the water uh, drowning, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm done, this is foolishness. Um, if you try swimming with that, all right? I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this to sort of scare you, but do you get this graphic image that Jesus is saying? Like it would be better for you to sit on a, an electric chair, to be strapped down to an electric chair and let them flip the switch than it would be for you to uh, cause one of these guys who believes in me to sin. This is a high school aged girl who gives her life to Christ at summer camp. And then her first and only introduction to the church is the youth group where she meets some quote-unquote Christian guys, one of them including the pastor's son. And they lead her, they disciple her into a life of sexual activity. And, 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 and damage, damage this young girl's faith. Do you see what he's saying? It would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck than to have that kind of impact on one of these folks that believe in me. If we had, if we had time, I would ask you to pull out paper and, and uh, write down every single person you know. <laughs> All right, like everybody. Um, if we had time, we're not gonna do it. And then to go through that list and like think about every John, Malik, uh, Sarah, every, every single person through this list and ask yourself, 
if, if I were to talk, to, or if somebody were to talk to them, would they say that I'm a stumbling block in their life? Would they say that in some way I'm uh, keeping them from growth? I'm leading them because of my example, because of my influence in their life, I'm actually leading them to sin. I'm moving them away from morals and beliefs and convictions that we find rooted in the scriptures. Uh, for those of you who are parents, I mean, think about this, all right? This is, talk about this hitting home, right? Have, watch your impact on others. For those of you who are parents or who might one day be a parent, all right? Hint, hint, that means like everybody in the room. Um, if you want your kids to run the streets, smoke dope, then run the streets and smoke dope, right? Lead, give them that example to follow. Um, dads, if you want your sons to look at pornography, then look at pornography and they'll find it. You know, most guys that I talk to who have a pornography addiction, you know where they found their original porn? Moms, if you, if you want your daughters to disrespect themselves, then disrespect yourself. Model that for her. If you want your kids to be apathetic, then be apathetic toward Christ. If you want your kids to hate God, then bring them to church with you. Let them watch you sing and then take them home and treat them with contempt all week and ignore Christ all week long. What kind of impact are we having on others, on those around us, on, on those within, within, our, within our care? This, this is um, teaching a vulnerable Christian how to drink like you do with excessiveness, which leads to drunkenness. This is teaching a vulnerable Christian uh, how to dance and dress in the club like you do. How to handle themselves at parties. This is leading a vulnerable believer into irreverent and silly myths. Just like stupid interpretations. Watch your impact on others. Can, can, you take, can you take a new believer, a young believer, an, an impressionable believer into any aspect of your life, all right? Can you take this person into any part of your life and um, through them observing you in that aspect of your life, would they be built up, edified, and brought closer to Jesus? Are you leading people those within, and by the way, guys, if you're somebody that's like, man, I don't have impact on anybody. You've got to understand, it, you, you come with impact. I don't care who you are. I don't care your background. I don't care how well you speak. Any, you come, your presence, the fact that you're human means that you have influence and you have impact in somebody's life. Is your impact leading people to unbelief? leading people to sin, or, or would, would, would people say, because I know this person, I know Jesus more. Because I'm in relationship with this person, like I really love Jesus, really love Jesus even more so. Watch your impact on others because you have one. And secondly, the second sort of big life thing that we're getting from Jesus teaching here, watch out for sin's impact on you and cut off whatever you have to cut off. Look at verse 43 with me. If your hand, he says, causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to go to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. Guys, do you see how we don't understand the severity of hell? He's, I mean, everybody look at your hands. Everybody hold your hands up. Look at them. Can you imagine doing life without these things? Can you imagine? I mean, how valuable are your hands to you? 
Like for me, what he's saying is, is, you know what? It would be better for you to cut off your hands and never shoot a basketball again in your life than to be thrown into hell. Do you see how severe it is? It would be better, he's saying, for you to uh, never play the guitar again or never touch your baby's face again than to lose the kingdom of God. Verse, the next verse, verse 45. And if your foot, he says, causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. If you love to run, for those of you who are training for a 5K, can you imagine life without running? Can you imagine losing, I mean, for those of you who rely on your feet to, to get around, to, to, to walk from your house to your job, could you imagine if you lost your feet? What Jesus is saying here is like, you would do better. It, it, it would be much better for you to lose your feet and have to take a wheelchair from your house all the way downtown to, to, to where, you, where you're working or whatever. It would be better for you to lose your feet than to ever, uh, or, or, and, and to never be able to run a 5K again. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I was playing basketball and I sprained my ankle really badly at the beginning of the season. And I remember thinking, this is hell. This is hell. Now, what a travesty that is, do you see? Like to compare my little sprained ankle with hell and to say, this is hell. No, what he's saying is it would be better for you to have not only two sprained ankle, to, ankles, but to be cut off at the ankles than to be thrown into, into hell, to lose the kingdom of God. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, now for those of you guys who like have problems with eyes, you know, like, oh, I don't like it when you touch your eye. Like, you might want to just walk out right now, okay? <laughs> For those, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, this could be lust, this could be coveting, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Do you see how we don't understand the severity of hell? He, what, what Jesus is saying is, look, like, first, for me, I love my eyes, okay? I love being able to see. It's a, it's a really great quality to have. I love being able to look at my wife's face. I love being able to see my, my children smile, all right? Jesus is saying, like, it would be better for me to never see my wife's face again. It would be better for me to never see my children smile again than to be thrown into hell than to lose the kingdom of God. Something, do, do you see where Jesus is going with this? These things that are like so valuable to us, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our most valuable possessions. He's like, look, you're much better off to cut those, thi cut those things off than to lose what's at stake here. We don't understand hell because we don't understand the severity of sin. We look at sin, we think about sin, and we don't really get it. It doesn't impact us. We don't understand that sin actually leads to death. I was watching TV the other day, and uh, I was watching The Office. You guys watch The Office? Andy Bernard and the secretary, whatever her name is. They're a new couple, and... Uh, the first, first day together and, and the conversation at work is their sex life, all right? First day, they just started dating. And the conversation is their sex life. And we watch this stuff and, and it doesn't really impact it. We're like, oh, that's normal, right? We don't understand sin's impact on us. We really don't understand it. We really don't, we, we go through life. You know, we listen to music. I was listening to, Nicki Minaj on the radio. I was flipping through. I don't, I'm not one to listen to Nicki Minaj, all right? No nasty grams. I can't believe. Um, listening to Nicki Minaj, and she said this. He ain't even got to try to put the Mac on. He just got to give me that look. And when he give me that look, the panties come off. Now, the crazy thing about this is we, we hear that, all right? 
And the first time we hear it, we're appalled by it. Like, oh my gosh, did she just say that? Wow. Is she serious? Like, we're appalled by it because this is like everything, everything that just drives us crazy about, uh, about girls who are insecure and will give it up for any dude who's willing to take advantage of her, right? And we're just disgusted by it. And then we, a little bit later, like the next week, we're like, oh, this is my jam. Turn it up. And we're singing along. Doesn't he have to put the Mac on, right? We're singing along. Look, we don't understand the severity of sin. We really don't. It's like, and, and then we were caught looking at this and thinking, thinking that we're the ones that are we- living the weird life. Man, like, why can't I just be normal and live like these people? Why can't I just live like they do on TV or in the movies? Why can't I just be normal and do what I want to do? And we think we are the weird ones. And it's because we don't understand the severity of sin. We don't understand the bondage of sin. We don't understand the fact that sin has us in handcuffs. We are chained to it. And while it seems free, it's not. It's anything but free. It's bondage. We're chained. The reality of sin is that it destroys the image of God that is upon you. And the reality of hell is that that image of God is forever gone and you are only left with the image of sin. Jesus is giving you an opportunity this morning to hear this message. I mean, Jesus doesn't do things by chance. You're here for a reason this morning. Jesus brought you here this morning. He's giving you an opportunity this morning to cut something off. To cut off a worm that's destroying you. Now, uh, two ways to sort of diagnose it because the, the reality is, is, is it's hard sometimes to know exactly. Now, for some of you, you know exactly. You're walking out of here and you're walking out of here with a decision. I'm cutting this thing off and I'm following Christ or your decision is, I think that's a lot of uh, rubbish and I'm going to just live my life. That's the, for some of you, you know exactly right now what it is that you should cut off. Others of us, it might be more challenging. Like, wh- is there a worm? Is there something destroying me? Is there something slowly gnawing away and deleting my files and getting into my e- email addresses and killing me? Uh, so two quick ways that I, I want to give you to sort of diagnose yourself. Um, first of all, and this is sort of the looking in the mirror kind of thing. Um, when you hear a preacher talk about sin, what sin comes to mind? Is there a sin? When a preacher talks about sin, is there a sin that always comes to mind? Yeah, I always think of this thing. Yep. Now it's possible that that is an indwelling, ongoing, unrepentant sin in your life. Secondly, um, I've told you guys this before, I meet with two guys at 6.30 a.m. every uh, Wednesday morning. And we've done this for over a year now. It's going on two years, I guess. Every, we don't miss. Although we missed this last week. Man, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> we, we very rarely miss. Um, and here's, the re- here's why. Uh, the whole, as we get together, I, um, the whole focus of getting together is to say, here's what I know that I need to cut off. And here's the beauty of it. Um, as we interact with each other's lives, as we get into each other's lives, um, I begin to see in them and they begin to see in me areas to cut off that I'm currently not seeing. You see what I'm saying? Like even just think of our bodies, like we can only see so much. I can't see my back. I've never seen my back in my life, not with my own eyes, all right? But other people can. So we've gotta have this kind of accountability around. We've gotta have these other voices, other eyes, people, If we don't have that, we will be like the guy in this story. I want to read you a story. I I got this from a a guy named C.J. Mahaney. 
Listen to this story. You don't want to be like this guy, okay? I, as I sat with my family at a local breakfast establishment, I noticed a finely dressed man at an adjacent table. His Armani suit and stiffly pressed shirt coordinated perfectly with a power tie. His wingtip shoes sparkled from a recent shine. Every hair was in place, including his uh, perfectly groomed mustache. The man sat alone eating a bagel as he prepared for a meeting. As he reviewed the papers before him, he appeared nervous, glancing frequently at his Rolex watch. It was obvious he had an important meeting ahead. The man stood up and I watched as he straightened his tie and prepared to leave. Immediately, I noticed a blob of cream cheese attached to his finely groomed mustache. He was about to go out into the world dressed in his finest with cream cheese on his face. I thought of the business meeting he was about to attend. Who would tell him? Should I? What if no one did? Look, first of all, guys, we need to be able to look in the mirror, all right, and say, do I have cream cheese on my finely groomed mustache, all right? We need to be able to, you know, this, is, this goes back to when you hear about sin, what sin comes to mind, all right? Examine yourself. Look inward. Is there something indwelling, ongoing, unrepentant? And secondly, we've got to have these brothers and these sisters who are willing to look at us and say, brother, you have cream cheese on your mustache. Here's a napkin. Get it off. Cut it off. Cut off the mustache if you have to. Just don't go out in the public like that. <laughs> right? Now here's the problem. Your, your friends could tell you what to cut off and you could cut it off. All right? I'll never, I'll never be alone with this woman again, or um, I will always have my computer visible, um, or we can, we can start cutting things off. All right? Here's the problem. We, we could look in the mirror, and we could diagnose ourselves, and we could say, okay, this is clearly the indwelling, ongoing thing in my life. It's the worm in my life that I need to chop off need to cut it off right now and we can start cutting things off. We could, okay, we quit the job where that's leading us into an affair. We, we cut off um, everything possible. We, we cut off our music. We cut off our friends. We cut off our alcohol. We cut off everything possible, all right? And it leads to no healing. And so then we keep chopping. We chop off drugs. We chop off books that we shouldn't read. We chop off smoking out, we, whatever. We chop off our arms, we chop off our feet, we chop off, chop, uh, gouge out our eyes. This happens all the time. We chop, chop, chop. And what we're left with is a dirty heart. We're left with a dirty heart. Guys, you walk into a, 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 some churches and you, you see this immediately some fellowships of Christians, you see this immediately. Everybody's chopped everything off. And all they have left are dirty hearts. You see the problem? You see the problem of taking this literally? Like you could chop off, chop things off, literally. Your hand, you keep stealing things. And you're like, all right, I'm done stealing. You know? You still have your heart that covets. You have prob problem with your eyes, looking at things you shouldn't look at. You, you gouge them out. You still have your, you still have your mind. You still have your, your heart. You see that? That's a problem, isn't it? And then if we try to like literally take out our heart, that's another problem, right? <laughs> Just doomed yourself. So how do we, how do we change that? Is the question. We can't cut off enough. Jesus is painting for us this very graphic, this very vivid and drastic picture of sacrifice. Not to lead us to cut and bleed, but to lead us to a greater sacrifice. You see, where, where, where we don't have enough feet to cut off. Jesus had a nail driven through his feet for us. 
where us cutting, simply cutting off our hands really won't solve the problem. Jesus' hands were pierced for our iniquities, for our transgressions, for our worms. In Acts 2, um, we, we see, uh, if you want to turn there really quick, Acts chapter 2, uh, we see what Jesus, I believe, wants you to see this morning. It's the same thing that these early believers, these early Christians saw. Jesus has cru- been crucified, he's been buried, and he rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven into the clouds. And these, these, these folks who have been observing this hear Peter's words to them. And this is what Peter says in Acts 2, verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, removing ourselves from this worm, removing ourselves from sin, removing ourselves from hell is worth absolutely any and every sacrifice that we can possibly make. But the problem is we couldn't sacrifice enough. In the Old Testament, we see this. These folks who are hearing this message, they know that they can't sacrifice enough. We can't cut off enough. And so then God, in his love and in his mercy, sent his only son into this world to die for us and to become our ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus then took that worm. And it was our worm. I mean, think about the worm in your life. It was nailed to the cross. And it was left hanging on the cross when Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead over it. Our past sins are forgiven. Our, our present struggles are taken care of and our future, our future failures are forever washed. As they hear this, Jesus then is both Lord and Christ, he says, Look at their response in verse 37. He says, says, when they heard this, look at the words, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? Like, all right, all we've got left right now are our dirty hearts. What do we do? I don't want to walk out of here bleeding this morning. I want to walk out of here rebuilt, remade, With a new heart, what do we do? Peter said to him, repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our sins are nailed to the cross with Christ. And we then are freely forgiven By what? Not chopping things off, but by looking to the cross. By trusting in the work that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on our behalf of taking our worms from us, taking our sins from us and forgiving forgiving us. And as, as, as our eyes then are firmly focused on the cross, as we're, as we're looking at this, this, this Jesus. And we see our, our worms right there. They're, they're nailed there. They're left there. And Jesus has risen. He's triumphed over them. What we see is that uh, salvation, forgiveness, the real problem does not come through simply cutting things off but it's a gift that's freely given to us. The, the chains, all right, the handcuffs that we once wore to, towards sin or to sin, we were handcuffed, we were in bondage, it's been broken. The cutting has happened. 
And so now, do you guys see this? So now what that means is that we are free to pursue the Jesus kind of life. Like it's not something that's done begrudgingly. It's not something now that's done out of fear because hell now has been taken care of and we, we're, are, are, we're no longer bound to sin because we have a new heart and now we are free to pursue Christ. Going back to that formula I, I, I gave you, if we could throw that back up, a new heart, it equals a willingness to sacrifice. See, before we had the new heart, we were not willing to cut off what we had to cut off. Before we had the new heart, the worm seemed like life to us. It seemed like everything we wanted to be about. But Jesus has given us now through the cross, he's rebuilt us, he's, through his resurrection, we've been given life, we've been given a new heart. And now we are finally, once and for all, we're willing to make the sacrifices that we need to make. We're willing to cut. As a matter of fact, it's a joy for us to cut what we have to cut. Plus, accountability. This is why we need each other. This isn't, we're not to do this alone. We need eyes, all right? We need discipline. We need people that can look into our lives and speak to us. A new heart equals willingness to sacrifice equals plus accountability, and that then equals freedom. We can freely now follow after Christ. So guys, I want you to go out of here not cutting things off and bleeding, okay? I want you to go out of here with the joy of being freed from sin and the joy of, of, of cutting off what it is that you have to cut off. And, and there is joy there. With the joy of allowing other people to speak into, into your life. You know, when I meet with my guys, it's not a burden. It's not something that I, I don't cringe every time I get together with them. As a matter of fact, I, I find it very enjoyable to have brothers who love me to such a degree that they will say, look, you, you've got something you need to cut off. It's, it results in freedom. Um, if, if you uh, are, are lacking in any one of these areas, if you're not a Christian, um, and you recognize that you have, a, you have a cold heart, that the heart's the problem, and you need a new heart. Look to Christ, repent, believe in the gospel, that Jesus lived the life that you could never live, that he died the death on your behalf, and that he rose again to give you life. Believe that, trust in that. Look to Jesus, treasure him above everything else. Make him the master, the Lord of your life. If you uh, are struggling with the willingness to sacrifice, um, or if you're struggling with the account accountability piece, you're like, man, I, I really want to cut, I want to be, but I don't have the people, I don't have the support. Um, don't walk out of here without, without any of those things. Uh, house communities are phenomenal ways to find the, the accountability, the voices that we need in our lives. One-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. Talk to me afterward if you'd like to sit down one-on-one. -on -one. We're free. This is a joy for us. Amen? If it's a joy, say amen like you believe it. Amen. All right. Let's, let's pray, and uh, Andrea's going to come and lead us. God, we, we thank you for the fact that uh, you sent uh, your son into the world to live the life for us that we could never live. And God, as he died on the cross, our worms were nailed, uh, nailed to that cross. And Jesus rose triumphantly over the grave. And he has sent the spirit to rejuvenate, to refill, to uh, restore us, and to give us the new heart that we are in such great need of. God, I, I pray that we will walk out of here with the willingness to cut what we need to cut, the willingness to allow others into our lives, and that this will be our greatest joy in following you. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, before we play, actually, I'm going to, uh, if we could stand, we'll um, take a time of communion here. Uh, each week here at the garden, we do uh, come around this table, and this is uh, simply a symbol of the, um, the uh, covenant of love that we have with God through his son, uh, whose blood was shed for us, whose body was broken for us. Before Jesus went to the cross, he took the bread and he, he broke it and he gave it to his, his uh, disciples. And he said, every time you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. He took the wine and he passed it around and he said, every time you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. This is an opportunity for us to look inward, to look in the mirror and to say, is there something indwelling, something ongoing, something unrepentant that I need to confess? Confess that before you come to the table. And if you have animosity with a brother or a sister, make that right before you come to the table or commit to making it right. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you through uh, uniting as a, as a community around uh, the Lord's Supper right here. And uh, we do ask it as we come to the table that we are reminded deeply of the, the covenant of love that we have through Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.